This is Women Speak Cyber, the podcast with a diversity of ideas critical to solving the complex challenges of securing businesses and people today. We believe all voices need to be heard. Whether you're an aspiring speaker, leader, or wanting to advocate for others, join Louisa P and Louisa V and their special guests who will share tools, tips, and inspirational stories that will help you to speak cybersecurity with confidence and impact. Okay, welcome to Women Speak Cyber, the podcast. We are super excited to welcome this week's guest, Lydia Giuliano. Welcome. For those of you, and I can't imagine there's anyone who doesn't know who Lydia is, but for those of you who don't know, you may know her through B-Sides Melbourne. She was the OG, the original founder. I know the team has certainly expanded since the initial event, but she was the OG and she's a bit of an industry guru here in the cyber world. So we're feeling very, very lucky to have her join us tonight. Welcome, Lydia. Thank you so much. Now I'm going to go LP and LV because that just sounds like fun. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us, how, how did you get into this industry? Oh my gosh, I think I'm one of those people that fell into it. I'm going to actually go back to the early years <laughs> when um, I used to run around the house and break things and put everything back together. I used to love just pulling things apart. And I remember when I was in year 12, there was my year 12 teacher and he had a desktop and he pulled the chasse off and he was pulling all the bits and pieces and putting things back in. And I said, I want to do that. And he said, oh, you've already missed the year 11 subject. He goes, it's going to be really hard. And I said, I don't care. I want to do it. So I did it and I did well and then after that I didn't know what I was going to do with myself and he suggested that I enrolled in something called computer science. So I was very I was very traditional but my first year at university I failed everything because I was too busy going to the pajama party and the ice party and the foam party you know and, and everything toga party toga party <laughs> but, I, but I passed ethics so that was cool. So at least we know that I'm ethical. But then after that I put my head down and I can I got my got my degrees and, and actually got two, and then I got a master's degree as well. And then as most of us did, we were either developer or like a sysadmin and I did both for quite a while. And then I got an opportunity at a bank and they said, well, we need someone to shell script to do vulnerability scanning. And I went, what's that? That sounds cool. And the very first thing that I did was I brought all the ATMs down in a very small Pacific country. So for those that know me, it's a, it was I thought I was going to get escorted out of the office that day. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot about vulnerability management, not scanning. Um, I learned a lot about compliance. And I guess that's how I found my way into security. Fast forward now, 25 years, I've done everything from security and compliance to SOC analysts to security engineering to what I do now. It's more like of an architectural consultancy partner type role where I'm working with different areas within the businesses within where I work and I help them design and implement security controls and get them passed and get things rolled out. So that's this is really short story. <laughs> yeah. And you just decided to sort of throw running a massive security event on top of all of that. Yes, I have kids too. I have kids. And kids. <laughs> and kids too. The running a security conference was a different crazy idea that I had that didn't spawn from work at all. So okay. but I can give you the backstory on that too. Before you do, because mm. I want to hear that, a couple of things. I want to go back to determination, that really mm. early determination. Mm. I want to do this. It's, even in spite of someone saying, oh, you know, it's going to be really hard. And you're like, did that, did that make you 
want it more, <laughs> that you were kind of being told it was, it was going to be challenging, hard subject? Um, I think when I was in like those high school years, if someone says to me something's too hard, that just fires me up. I don't think anything's too hard. I, it was really funny because I remember the first couple of years when I, when I moved into security, I, I was in front of the, uh, the CISO and she said to me, don't give me problems, give me solutions. And I was like 26, 27 and I'm like, really? Oh, my God. I didn't realise that I was doing that. I'm just like, well, no, this is it. We've got to find a solution to everything. There's nothing too hard and we've got to keep trying. The hackers kept trying, so they find a solution. So we've got to keep trying. And that's that's what drives us. I mean, I mean, even Shanna was even saying this last week, there's nothing more exciting than digging deep and, and finding a way forward. I mean, I think that's what drives most of us. We just love digging in and go, yes, I did it. This is so cool. <laughs> Yeah. And is that what's kept you in the industry for, did you say, is it 25 years in the industry? Probably 25 years, including when I was a developer. Yeah. So, you know, 25 years probably altogether. Yeah. Yeah. What's kept you here is kind of that ongoing determination to find the solutions, to kind of dig into the problem and, and move forward. Yeah. Look, there is nothing more exciting than problem solving. You know, I mean, one of the things that I love about our industry is that every day I go to work and I don't know what bombs are going to land on my desk. <laughs> there is something every day. Yeah. You know, and you look at it and you go, oh, I have no idea how to do this. But that's okay. We'll figure it out. You know, yeah. and it's exciting. Every day is exciting. That's what I, that's what I love about it. You know, it's just, it's just fun. Look, it's challenging, but it's fun. Thank you if you can go to work and actually say what you do every day is fun. You're winning at life right there. Look, I think all of us have been through ups and downs in the security industry, but 80% of the time it's just fun. I love it. I love problem solving. I love getting in the weeds and I love it when a business partner can say, thank you, you really helped us secure this solution or thank you, you really helped secure this data or you explained it in a way that I can understand it. And that's really satisfying. It's really satisfying. Definitely agree with that. Uh, yeah, I've p- people ask me how my day is going, and I'm like, I'm am not bored. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not bored. And yeah, that you're right. No two days really are the same, and it's yeah keeps it exciting. As LP knows, I stepped out of cyber for six months once, and I definitely did a very quick U-turn at the earliest possibility because I, you know, we we have one of the speakers on our current cohort j- just presented at ComfyCon at the weekend. Angela, she talked about my why, you know, why was she in the industry? And it was just wonderful to hear her story. She shared a pretty candid story about her experience with identity theft. But, you know, hearing the why just... I definitely think many of us can relate to that drive that we have to keep going in this industry. And, what, and was, yeah. what was your why to do the 360 and come back? That's <laughs> <laughs> the question, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I realised that in the role I'd gone to, which was more on the IT infrastructure monitoring side, and it was in a sales role at the time, and I just realised that I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could re- truly kind of help anybody in that role, even though it helped people be more efficient. It wasn't a bigger why. I wanted to help protect people and data and businesses. And, you know, that, that I didn't realize until I stepped out that that was my why and I was missing it so badly. And I just didn't see a reason to kind of get up and go to work every day. So I thought, okay, got to fix that as soon as possible. And yeah, never look back, which is good. That's awesome. (laughs) So awesome. LP, 
we've got a lot of things we wanted to chat to Lydia yes. about. Um, <laughs> we were discussing it early today. We we feel this, you know, could be a two-part podcast <laughs> at some point. We'll have to get you back. But we do really want to talk about a couple of things. So as, as we understand it, Lydia, you're the only Australian woman to have presented at Black Hat USA. Did we get that right? I don't Correct. I don't know if that's a fact. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure, but I don't know many, but I'm hoping I'm not the only one, but there, there wouldn't be too many of us, I would imagine, yeah. And that's an amazing achievement as a speaker. I was about to say it's a pinnacle, right? It's- yeah, yeah, yeah. Take us right back to the start of your public speaking journey, you know, do you recall the first time you ever spoke publicly, you know, how you felt, what that experience was like, and how how did you take that journey to Black Hat USA, which is, yeah, we're still in awe of that achievement. It's amazing. Yeah, most of the time I still can't believe it, actually. And you've given me butterflies just talking about it. My public speaking, it was really funny because I was a really shy kid. So at high school I would do maths, extra maths, extra, extra maths, physics, you know, all that stuff. And we had to do some sort of humanity. So I went, all right, I'll do drama. And I threw myself into drama. Hated it, but did it because I wanted to get over the nerves. And I don't think I ever did. Just through the university years and then in the early days, you know, I had to present in front of boards and meetings and things like that. So I wouldn't say mass crowd, you know, maybe 50, 50 odd plus people. Still very, very, very nervous. You know, I don't think any of us are born to speak. And if you are, that's amazing. You know, I'm definitely no Gary Vee, that's for sure. And I know you, the both of you have spoken about this, lots and lots and lots of imposter syndrome, but attended lots of, you know, little meetups and watched other people, et cetera, et cetera. But what happened was with Black Hat, I was living in Los Angeles for a couple of years. So I lived in LA for about three years and I was working for an automotive company. And um, at the time they said, well, actually, it was the first day that I was there, we got hit with ransomware. And I just sat there, couldn't do anything because it was day one. I just sat there listening to the incident calls. And then three weeks later, it happened, or two weeks later, something like that happened again. And, you know, we calculated the cost of the whole thing. And my, my line manager at the time said, we've got to do better. He said, can you start doing some analysis? So, again, exactly like what Shanna said, I just delve into it. I was working on it at night. I was downloading malware, creating malware. You know, I didn't know the first thing of mal- about malware when I started, but I just, I just went nuts. You know, the kids were in bed. My husband was watching movies and I was sitting there, you know, playing with malware and trying to evade all these endpoint systems for work. And then what happened was I'm looking at the methodology because I'm very scientific and very factual. And I'm like, there's nothing, there's no testing guides to do this stuff. So then I started running a testing guide just for me, just to be able to evaluate apples for apples because the vendors would come back to me and say, oh, well, this is, you haven't done, you know, a like for like here, a like for like here. And I said, here's the science. And nobody could come back to me. One of the architects in Ohio said, you need to present this to Black Hat. And I looked at him and went, yeah, whatever. You know, and he said, well, I'm going to put it together for you. He was the organiser for B-Sides Ohio. So he knows what CFPs look like. I didn't. And so he helped me form it together. And one of the things that I love, love, love talking about, and I did it at the last ComfyCom, is I spoke about how to put a CFP together. It's really important. And I'll get back to Black Hat in a minute, but now I sit on four different review boards. So I know what the CFP looked like. But back at the time, I had no idea. And he was like, it's going to get accepted. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I'll never forget one day we're in a meeting and the two of us just get this, you've been accepted to talk at Black Hat USA. 
and we're trying to sit there quietly, you know, with a straight face and I just didn't believe it, you know, and I think there's there's a lot to talk about about the black hat talk. It's too long for this podcast. There's lots of imposter syndrome, lots of there was lots of negativity, there was lots of really dark moments about it, but there's lots of really positive moments about it as well. But given that we're talking about speaking, I wasn't prepared. I wish I had Emily with me at that time, but I think when I look back at the talk, I think I, I spaced it out well enough that it was comfortable. But in hindsight, I would have loved to have done it differently, you know. And I got that opportunity so many times because after I spoke at Black Hat, I then took the same presentation to Sector in Canada, and then I did uh, I did a webinar with Black Hills Information Security, which I love so much. John Strand is amazing. Erica that runs Kwaikon got me to do it there as well, and I did it my way, and it was. I was so comfortable and it was the only time I've watched the presentation, the Kawhi Con one. I look at the Black Hat one and I go, oh, this is not the presentation I wanted to deliver. Because I was so hard on myself, I just thought, well, there's something here. There's something here. And I knew that I was moving back to Melbourne at the end of the year and then I contacted Jack Daniel, who's the Mr. B-Sides, and I said, I want to run B-Sides Melbourne. And the first thing that I put on the agenda was the rookie track and said anyone who hasn't spoken needs to do a mentoring program. I emailed Emily before I moved back to Melbourne. I said, are you in? She goes, yes, I'm in. And then like shortly after Friedman was born and it was so so great to see that. That's how all this happened because I don't, I didn't feel like I gave my best, even though it probably was good enough. Can we ask, you know, what what about it were you not happy with? Um, And what did you then go on to change when you, when you got that opportunity to do it again, how did you change things? It's a good question because about a week before I went on to stage, I got a legal cease and assist letter to say that I couldn't reveal who the vendors were. And so there was a vendor that was very precious about the results that I was about to publish. What would I change? When you look at the Black Hat talk, I had to bubble it and put letters over the vendors. And I felt like I let my audience down. You know, that was the disappointing thing because I wanted to be able to speak freely. I wanted to be able to speak the true research. And what what happened as a result was you got a lot of criticism to say, well, you really haven't delivered the talk because you didn't deliver what you said you were going to deliver. Or there was a lot of people criticizing because you're talking 18 months of pure research. Like I worked on this for one and a half years in a 40 minute presentation. There's nothing in there that really reflects that hard work. And I think I did go into a bit of a dark hole there because I saw a lot of negative comment, but I was able to pull myself up and went, you're missing the point, Lydia. This is not about what they think. No one's got a right to judge my talk because they didn't live the 18 months. And it took a long time to get out of that, you know, and and stand by that framework that I built because the talk itself wasn't about the results. The results will change a week later when you retest. What was important was the science and the give back that I gave to the community. And so you asked me, Louisa, what I changed. What changed was when I then, then when I went on to speak in Canada and with John Strand, we spoke about the framework. I stopped worrying about what the vendors thought. I stopped worrying about what other people were thinking and focused on the give back. When I talk to people about how to give a presentation, we always focus, and remind me, I'll talk about the Monday rule. We always talk about the Monday rule. That's the ending. That's the big bang because that's it. That's like you read a good book, you know, and it sets the scene and, it, you know, the beautiful girl meets a boy, whatever, whatever, whatever you want. Got all these, you know, gory, throwy up type chapters. And then at the end you've got the big bang. 
no different to this. I wouldn't necessarily change the format of it, but just preparing people for the confidence, preparing people what might come after and you telling your truth. I mean, that is a pretty huge curveball to be thrown pretty last minute before a big, big conference talk like that. So kudos to you for, you know, getting out there, doing it and delivering that talk and, and adapting what you had to adapt. That's, that's absolutely huge. That's a tough thing to do. And I think, I think the other part and what we heard Shana talk about last week, and I really went away and thought about that, be kinder to yourself. I love how she reminded us of that because I actually went away and went, I could put that into practice in everyday life. I actually think that, you know, the default can sometimes be to focus on, you know, what, what you didn't do or, or what you missed and what you wish you'd said. But there's so much good stuff that happens that you have to, you know, remind yourself to celebrate as well. So I think, you know, Lydia, that we celebrate you. That's an amazing achievement to get up, do that talk at that conference and with a curveball. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I remember standing up on that stage and it was two rooms put together that went back two times and I'm looking at it going, holy heck, I would not recommend this as a first <laughs> As a first, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel like saying, you know, just there's so many like small little meetups. <laughs> but yeah, it was, I mean, it was a really big deal. You know, it's one of those bucket list items that everybody wants to do. You're right. I'm probably not being kind to myself. I think I would have liked to have delivered the talk that I wanted without the lawsuit hanging over my head. Because you're talking about a billion dollar company and I'm there going, I don't have the legal backing to fight these people you know, and why are they being so precious? And I felt like saying, well, they're being precious because their product's crap. That's why they're being precious. In hindsight, I thought I should have just said it, you know, but again, coulda, shoulda, woulda. But the good thing is there's lots of good that's come out of that, so much good, which we're going to talk about as well. Yeah, definitely. So after that experience, you came back to Melbourne, you founded B-Sides Melbourne. You wanted to take that experience that you had with Black Hat and help set people up for success with their talks. So yeah, that that's a fabulous, you know, some people would have dwelled on that negative and done nothing, but you took action to help others. That's that's absolutely fabulous. So I know you sit on the, a number of review boards for conferences and I saw your wonderful LinkedIn article recently where you just shared some amazing insights about the kind of the, the kind of um, talks you're, you're seeing coming through. And with all that experience you have, you know, what would you say to somebody who was um, thinking of, of putting in a call for paper um, for a conference, but they've never done it before? So kind of what, what would your advice be to them? And then the second thing would be, what would you say to someone who's like, you know, I want a keynote at a conference. How do you get there? Yeah. So yeah. We'd love to talk to you about that. So the CFP is really, I think it's a really good one and kudos to the ComfyCon crew. I just love them to death. I said to Ian, I think last ComfyCon, I said, we should have a talk about submitting to, you know, how to, how to write a CFP. He goes, let's do it. He goes, I was joking. He goes, I'm serious. Let's do it. So we did it. And, and I think I want to break it up a little bit because it depends on the conference, right? So if you're talking, if you're talking about ComfyCon versus a B-Sides versus a Black Hat slash DEFCON, they all look different. They all look different. And so, you know, even even submitting maybe to a B-Sides Canberra versus a SEC Talks or even a B-Sides Melbourne will look different. And one of the things I love about all the B-Sides around Australia is that we all offer different things. 
everyone's looking for different things and that's what makes the b-sides in my opinion around australia awesome let's talk about the abstract because that's the bit that gets published i always say to people when you write your abstract that's what gets published so read that abstract and think would i go and watch that talk so when someone submits an abstract that's two sentences or one sentence, I literally just move on to the next one because the effort and the time hasn't gone in there. Another one that is disappointing, again, is two sentences, but the bio is two pages long. I don't care about the speaker. And I don't mean that in a in a malice way. I care about the research and the talk that's being presented. I think that it's great to have an, a good speaker up there but if you're just if you're just scoring based on speaker, you're not giving fresh blood an opportunity. You know, it's really important for you to read, you know, really present that abstract well. And conference permitting, some conferences will then go, well, deep dive into that abstract. So I've got more details to understand whether it's novel, whether it's semi-novel, or you know, whether you're just presenting a known topic but in a different way. So you're giving the review board more opportunities to know what the talk is about. So with the abstract, I always say I want to see at least two to three good paragraphs and it's that story, you know, it's that story. What's the problem you're trying to solve? So if we take my black hat talk, the problem that I was trying to solve back then was ransomware. So you go, ransomware, you know, we get hit, the cost, blah, 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 and people go, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. We've just got hit with ransomware. So you've got them on that first sentence. And then you talk about what you're going to talk about. So in this talk we analyse 80,000 pieces of malware, we did this, that, and now you're pulling them in because they're like, oh, okay, I haven't, I haven't thought about doing this. So they're the mini chapters that you're going to talk about. What's the bomb that you're going to leave them with? You're going to leave them with um, a tool, you're going to leave them with a framework, you're going to leave them with some ideas, you're going to give them some mitigation. You don't have to write a lot, but you read that abstract and you go, I get, I get this person, I'm absolutely going to go sit down and do this. So that's the advice. And the other thing that I would say is reach out to the conference and ask them, is there someone on your review board that would be willing to read my abstract? And I say that particular conference because every conference is different. And I know with Black Hat, for example, I always do at the beginning of Black Hat Asia. If you want to submit to Black Hat Asia, send me a draft. Let me have a look at it. It's not a conflict of interest. You know, we're there to honestly help people. Same with B-Sides Melbourne. Send it over. Let's have a, a CFP fest, you know, and let's, and let's all help each other because we want to inject new blood into the industry. If we are going to explore opportunity and new talent, we need to help those people who have never written a CFP before. We don't want them to run away out of fear. Your approach is just music to our ears because, you know, this is the space we're in. We, we just want those people to get that first opportunity. But I have to say, I think you and, and ComfyCon and a few others are quite unique and it is a real challenge for those first-time presenters to to get that foot in the door. Thankfully, you know, there are people like you and Shanna and Ian from ComfyCon who do take that time out to give those first-time presenters it's almost like you start to build your CV for presenting, right? And once you kind of get one on the board, I think it does help down the track. But it's just incredible how you guys are making it possible for these first-time presenters because, you know, this is the space we're in and we know firsthand the struggles that they're having. So I couldn't say thank you more because it's just, um, it's incredible to hear. Oh, thank you. And I think I think that's why 
the rookie track and the newbie track are so and we've we've B-sides have had a career village too, unfortunately couldn't run it. But these things are really, really, really important because they can feel confident to go into that rookie track or the newbie track or whatever you want to call it. If they are hard on themselves or if they, they are lacking confidence, it's a no judgment space. It's look, B-sides, any of the any conferences should be a no judgment space anyway. You know, because if you're sitting, if you're a backseat rider and you're going to make comments about someone's presentation, it's typically a reflection of yourself. You get up there and do it. Have you done the research? If not, shut your mouth. (laughs) Exactly. It's true. I think it's such a nice approach to, you talked about rookies, newbies, a career track. You know, I even think I want those big events to have opportunities for startups. It's all of those entry level parts of our industry that are so crucial to the ongoing growth and to creating jobs that we need to be promoting. But, you know, a lot of the bigger events make it so hard for startups, for newbies. And so I'm glad to start seeing some of these events, you know, really change the landscape. I think those of us that have been in the industry for a while now, I think we owe it to the new people coming up. You know, one of the things I loved about the first B-Sides Melbourne that we ran is that a lot of the volunteers were well-known people in the industry. You know, I just didn't want to get students so so that they felt like they they were they were there. I wanted the students to participate and talk. You know, no one's bigger than anyone else's. We're all equal. I think that's really, really important. Everyone's just a normal person. Everyone goes home to their families at the end of the day or their, you know, their cats and dogs or, you know, whatever. Everyone's the same. And I think that really needs to be normalised because it's really important if, you know, if people are going to get the courage to get up and, and, and try to make a difference. Linked to that call for papers process. So say you get rejected. Well, hey, I'm going to stop you there. Let's not use the word rejected. It's declined. <laughs> declined. It's, it's, it, could, it could be for many reasons. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So say you get declined. Yes. How, how would you recommend someone goes about getting some feedback from the review board? Something that we do in Black Hat and something that, you know, I've implemented through B-Sides um, and I can't speak for all the conferences, just the review boards that are Even DevSecCon, we do the same thing, is that, Review board members are really encouraged to give feedback when they read a paper. I don't particularly like it when a review board member just says, that's good, that's shit. It is not constructive criticism at all. You need to say, you know, like in the case of Black Hat, it might not be novel enough. Or in the case of, you know, a B-sides, it might be that there needs to be more information in the abstract or there needs to be more information in the detailed description. We as review boards owe it to the people that have spent the time, their time and effort submitting to give a proper review. And so I always encourage everyone to, I mean, you don't have to do war and peace, just a couple, just one or one or two sentences. And if someone wants feedback, they come back and then we've got good takeaways for them, not well, it was okay, it was all right, because it doesn't, it doesn't help anybody improve. We're all in the business to help people improve and uplift. And I'll be like you were saying, so I don't like reject it because it's a negative undertone, whereas decline, like if I have a look at even the Black Hat schedule for Asia coming up next month, there was some insane talk, insane mm. talks, but we couldn't take them all because there's not enough slots. Yeah. You know, so how do you say to someone you've been rejected, hell no, you haven't been rejected, can you please submit the same talk to USA or EU? Mm. Yep. 
you know, and they're the things that I love seeing from conferences. If you didn't get accepted, please don't take it as a reflection on yourself. It's not. It could be. If mm. you if your abstract is two sentences and your bio is two pages. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you can really see those people that have put insane effort into it and they're the ones that typically will come to you and say, can I have some feedback? And you're like, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's great to hear that you do that because, yeah, that's that's so important, as I know you know. And, for, you know, for a lot of first-time speakers or, you know, early-stage speakers, decline could still really, you know, feel like, oh, I'll just, you know, I won't bother again. So mm. I, I think encouraging people, go and get that feedback, you know. And it's the same if you, if you were declined for a job, I think. Go and follow yeah. up and ask because that feedback is going to help you shape maybe what you do next or what you what you learn next or what experience you go and get next. All of those things, that feedback is so important. And moving on then to the keynote piece. <laughs> <laughs> on the spot. How does somebody go about getting a keynote? Do you have to be asked? Do you know, oh gosh, I've been asked a keynote before. But I think, I, I, I don't know, maybe I was lucky. <laughs> I don't know. But I think with keynotes, what I see with conferences is is that a lot of the committee members will say, you know, who's someone that would fit the theme? Because a lot of conferences have a theme, you know. What's the current topic that we're looking at this year? So they may aim, they may go for a particular speaker for a particular topic. I find in the past I've seen a lot of keynotes get invited. I know yeah. with B-sides we tend to put a bunch of names down and you know and then we sort of say okay let's let's go chat to this person let's go chat to that person I know in the past you know even with Black Hat you know we, we look at the conference we're looking at the year we're looking at what's hot and I've never ever picked a keynote for Black Hat because I'm, I'm that's way 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 beneath me or above me I should say but I know that they're the sorts of things that people take into account Although I am gonna, I am gonna tap Shanna on the shoulder and say, well, you know, like I'm sure that both of you have heard of Tanya Yanka. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, she just needs to be like Tanya and go, hey, I'm looking for a keynote. Who's up for me? Yeah. <laughs> you know, just put down the wall and you know, put it out to the universe because there was there would be plenty of people that would take Shanna in a second. So mm. if you feel that you're ready, why not put it out to the universe? Yeah, I love that. Just make it known. Make it known, yeah, because maybe someone will hear Shanna on the podcast and go, we want her. Yeah. Oh, we didn't know she wanted to keynote. We're on. I listened to her and went, oh, there you go. (laughs) But I I think it's not dissimilar to in the workplace as well. I once got some really good advice. You know, if you want to be considered for a promotion, make it known. Yeah. State your intention. I really want to be considered for this promotion. What do I need to do? What steps are involved? You know, can I get some feedback about where I'm at? So it's definitely one of those things that just, you know, it's honestly, it will never be comfortable for me. And I'm sure there are many people out there won't be comfortable to advocate for yourself like that, but you got to do it. I do have a saying that I, I just absolutely live by and and hopefully someone will hear it and think about it themselves, you know. If opportunity does it not, build a door. There's been so many times when I've looked at things and I'm like, I can't climb that wall. It's too big. Build a door, lid. Build a door, you know. And there's so many times when things just should have never eventuated and they did because you're persistent and you try. You know, you build your vision board, you build your dream, whatever your goal, however you do it and you work towards those things. Because a lot of the times people don't know your intention or they don't know what your goals and dreams are, so you make it happen. Yeah, I love that analogy. Mm. Build, build the door. Build a door. Yeah. 
build it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Lydia, there's another thing we wanted to ask you. We often ask this to our guests on the podcast, like how do you get ready for a talk? How, what's your... I love this question. And you know what? I, th- I thought about this question because you've asked everyone in the podcast and I thought they're going to ask me, they're going to ask me. So, but, uh, um, It's really interesting because I always think that there's two sides to a talk and when we're doing the mentoring or coaching, I say, okay, I want you to look at prep for your slides and the prep for the talking because they're two different things. And I think a lot of people forget that because, you know, putting your slides together, putting your story together, you know, whatever that looks like, and I can break that down as well, it's very different to standing in front of an audience of 200 people and losing your cool or getting nervous or whatever. So I know when I prepare the pack, I'm one of these people that just write my story and I just write it all down because I want to make sure that all my ideas are down and then I thrash it out into a vision board, you know, like you see like those cartoons story at the start, three things that you want to talk about and your key takeaways. I mentioned the Monday rule. For those who have heard of Daniel Cuthbert, he's an absolute, he's just a legend. He's one of the nicest true gentlemen in the infosec industry. And he once said to me when I was preparing for a talk, he said, what's your Monday rule? And I went, what? And he said, so if I'm sitting in your talk on Friday, what are you going to leave me with at the end of your presentation that I can take with me on Monday? And I went, oh, I love it, I love it. And that's my obligation as a speaker, tell the story, I talk about what we learned and, and, you know, teaching them on the way. But what are the things I'm going to leave them with now? And and this is where I say you're going to leave them with a tool. Oh, look, I went to this talk and I've got this tool and I can use it. You're going to leave them with a framework. Oh, I've left them with a testing framework. Or if you're doing a talk about something that you've hacked, as an example, it's all great, look, if we did this, At the end, you might say, here's what you do as a red teamer, here's what you do as a blue teamer, or if you're a SOC analyst, these are the rules that you need to write. And if you're a dev, if you're a developer, this is what you need to do. And I'm seeing a lot of talks do that now, which is so great. They're actually writing mitigation strategies in there as well. So the ending of your talk is just as impactful as the story, you know, because people want to know what those key takeaways are. And I really look for those things. So that's how I prepare. And then obviously the speaking part, you know, the usual mirror, phone, phone a friend. Because <laughs> pra- you've got to practice, 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 practice. I think when people think about how they're going to prepare for their talk, they need to look at both sides, the talk presentation themselves and the actual preparing for the speaking because they are different beasts. That's great. Yeah, that's great mm-hmm. advice. And I, I'm i sure we can all recall a presentation we've been to or indeed given, and I'm putting my hand up as admitting to having done that, where you just talk to the slides, you know, and they're your safety net. So they contain all the information, but then when you're faced facing the audience yeah. and you need to look around to see your slides and then you're dependent on the slides, yeah. it shows and I think, I think you hit on a really good point because there's a couple of don'ts that I try to encourage people not to do. And one thing, Emily talks about death by PowerPoint and there's a great TED talk that she sent me on death by PowerPoint. The first year that we did the Black Hat Speaker Program and I was, I was working with somebody, death by PowerPoint, like I said to him, I go, great, you've got so much information here. And I said, I know you want the audience to see it. I said, but they're going to be reading every single point and not listening to you. 
And I said, you need to think about is that the sort of thing that you want to deliver? And that's again, that's what Emily says, you know, use it to support you, not that people are frantically trying to read everything and not listening to you. And there's something that Tanya Yanka does that I absolutely love, and it's consideration for people if they want to do their talk this way. She does minimalistic slides, which is great because she wants them to listen to her and focus on what she's delivering. And then every couple of slides she goes, here's the photo slide. And that's the death by PowerPoint. And you know, take the pictures of it. Uh, the photo slide. Yeah, the photo slide. slide. That's right. Here's the photo slide. For everyone who wants to take the photo and it's like, <laughs> so, you know, all the key points that, that, that she wants to give. That's fabulous. You that's know, really because, cool. because even if someone says, hey, can, Lydia, can I have a copy of your slides? Most of my slides now are just all pictures and one or two bullet points. So if you're trying to obviously remember because something's not recorded, the PowerPoint isn't going to support that. So that's why she puts that extra slide in there. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous advice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I did predict that we were going to run out of time because there's so much that we could we could talk to with you and cover and you've got so many great ideas and insights and we thank you so much for sharing those with us. And I guess it just, you know, f- from our perspective, if people want to follow you, I don't know if you're active on social media, but is there a place they should go? Mm-hmm. I am pink underscore tangent on Twitter. I've been a bit quiet recently just because of COVID and homeschooling and everything else. But I would imagine with B-sides coming up, I'll start getting a little bit vocal. My DMs are always open. I don't have them closed. We're planning training for the 9th of September and the actual event will run on the 10th and the 11th of September. So I think the week or two before grand final. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you, Lydia, for joining us and thank you for all that you do for the industry, all of the, all of the work you do to give back and help support new voices, new speakers. We love your work. Thank oh, you. Thank you both of you for having me. It's so exciting. Sorry, it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> the feeling is mutual. This podcast has been made possible thanks to sponsorship from the Australian Signals Directorate. For updates on Women Speak Cyber and our initiatives to help elevate, grow and retain women speakers in cybersecurity, follow us on Twitter at Women Speak Cyber or find us on LinkedIn.